I'm Ed Plotz from Policy Advisor here with Ricky Walther, the immediate past president of the Veterinary Business Management Association, VBMA. We're syncing up week over week to talk about things that vet students really need to know, whether it's about uh, how to find a job, how to navigate the opportunities or technologies after the fact, everything that needs to happen after school. So today we're actually going to talk specifically about how to find a job. Broadly, how would you approach even looking for a job in veterinary medicine? Yeah, so uh, part of the reason why I wanted to make sure we talked about this in our series was because I think it is super important for vet students to know that looking for jobs in vet med is gonna be different than a typical job search that you would do like just out of college. It's a professional environment, it's a profession that exists, and so there's some like kind of nuances about how you approach that. So let's start, I guess, first with when would you start looking for a job? And I think this really depends on the job market. And with everything going on right now, the job market, you know, is kind of in flux and who knows exactly what that's going to look like. As far as when to start looking for a job, what I did and what I think other people kind of typically say is that starting around the end of November, early December timeframe of your fourth year of veterinary school is a really great time to start looking for jobs. People always kind of mark that time frame by it's an easier to remember as just, you know, after you take NAVLI in the fall um, and have at least taken that national licensing exam, it's kind of that first step of like, okay, I'm graduating, let's start looking. Some of the ways, I guess, to talk about how to start that process. So I hear from tons of veterinary students all the time. They're like, I want to start looking for jobs. What do I even do? So we can talk about some of the resources that exist. I think it's extremely useful to, before you even start looking for a job, is to clean up your resume. Talk to an advisor, maybe at your school or something, have someone who looks at resumes on a regular basis, review your resume and just make sure that it looks like a resume and that there's no glaring mistakes. What I would say about resumes in vet med is that they're actually not really that important in the sense that no one's going to look at your resume and decide yes or no, I want to talk to you because of our profession is such a personal like relationship based kind of interaction really as long as you have a well-polished resume that kind of meets the standards for what a resume should be you'll make it through to that kind of next step you don't have the same challenges as other job markets with when it comes to actually like getting recruiters to follow through with us mm -hmm. kind of typically end up being in the opposite perspective of lots of people want to meet vet students that are out there and graduating at least prior to COVID-19 there was a huge huge demand for veterinarians we'll see what happens as we move forward over the next you know couple years and see how that changes things but with the huge demand that exists right now that's kind of the first piece is just having a resume that um is well polished that can go with your initial contact to a practice quick question on that ricky with the resumes in other fields you often want to prioritize a resume based on you know, what's most important to land you the job. And in a lot of ways, I think people come out of schooling thinking to like lead with their education front and center. Whereas the reality is actually that experience trumps education by far and mm -hmm. uh, listing whatever classes you took and that kind of thing doesn't matter so much outside of veterinary school. Now I'm wondering in the veterinary world, what you know what's similar what's different when you think about just the prior prioritization of a resume if you are going to deliver a resume should it be you know experience front loaded at the top with just a mention of your schooling you don't really need to go into detail about your gpa and that kind of thing uh, gpas are becoming less and less important and almost mentioning a gpa is going to frame yourself as a student 
I'm wondering if there's any concern there and just maybe you want to jump right into this is my like clinical experience. This is my expertise. This is my, uh, you know, scholastic leadership and like run from there. It is similar in the sense that everybody who graduates veterinary school, they know you graduated veterinary school. There's a pretty standard curriculum. There are differences at every school, but overall, everybody's like, did they, are they on track to get their DVM or their VMD or whatever their degree title is? And other than that, that's all they really care about as far as that education goes. GPA is super important for internships and residency programs, which is totally different than what we're talking about for someone who's going to look for a veterinary job. For veterinary jobs that are out in the market, like they, no one will ask your GPA, no one cares what your GPA is. Um, you are licensed, as long as you are licensed and able to practice veterinary medicine, they care way more about your experience, your leadership, your interests and like what it is that you want to pursue over your course of um, kind of your veterinary clinical time frame. Um, and those are the things that they're going to care about. Um, so the way that kind of like I, for example, kind of structured my resume is obviously to state which school you go to, I think is important um, because depending on where you're applying, like there is kind of an affinity for, oh, that practice manager went to the same or that practice uh, has mostly vets that went to the same school, or maybe they're looking for vets from different schools, but giving them that piece of information is useful. From there, I think it's jumping straight into the expertise, and I think this is a really key point to talk about um, that kind of goes into the interview piece later, but it's all about talking about things that make you different. Every single veterinarian out there prior to or during school did a bunch of externships and, and, and like all these different experiences that are very clinical-based. Um, I think it's okay to have one or two that are on there, but um, if there's anybody watching this video that's a couple years away from graduating, I would highly encourage you to find things that make your resume look different than any other veterinary candidate, right? A resume is all about making you stand out from everybody else. If you list the same things that everybody else lists, then you're not standing out. So those kind of experiences, like for me, my involvement with the National VBMA was something that I highlighted big time on my resume because it's something that very few people have. In the, in the profession. So anything, it doesn't have to be a business club, it can be any club that you're part of and did a leadership opportunity in. All of that shows that you have an initiative to learn other skills, other things. So if it's in a particular interest area or vice versa, those are all super important pieces to make sure are included in your resume so people can have that information right off the bat. Now we can talk a little bit about what to do with your resume kind of now that you have it and how do you start this job application process so there's a couple resources that exist that i think are really useful just for kind of broad spectrum kind of applying places um, so you need to have some kind of geographical area in mind when you start looking for veterinary medicine because then it helps you to use all these resources so the abma has a job board that i highly recommend that every veterinarian who's graduating posts their resume and um, Kind of a app like they fill out their little application on what it is that you're looking for in a job the main reason for that is because you're going to then get contacted by lots of veterinary clinics that are looking to hire whether that be larger corporate consolidators like bca banfield things like that or some of the smaller ones that you may not have heard of that exist in the areas you're looking it's a great way to get connections with the people who use recruiters to hire mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of how you find those recruiters or they find you, I guess. The next piece is using your local VMAs, like your 
local uh, veterinary medical association of whatever city that you're looking in or whatever state you're planning on looking at. Almost all of the VMAs have job boards, job postings, so you can either post your resume on there or apply for specific jobs. This is a point where I want to make sure that we comment on the fact that a huge majority of jobs in, the vet in veterinary medicine are never listed. So a specific opening at a specific hospital is hardly ever posted somewhere. Sometimes it is, especially in this last job market that we were in with the 2020 class um, looking for employment over the last few months. More and more jobs were being listed because there was a shortage of veterinarians. But in a typical year, it's somewhere over two-thirds of jobs in veterinary medicine are filled by word of mouth and by who you know and things like that. So they're not actually listed. So I think it's important to kind of get those connections. But then the second piece is that this kind of does fall on the, vet, the veterinary students specifically to look at the area you're moving to or the area you want to end up in and make a list of all the practices that exist there and then decide what, are, what is it that I'm looking for in a practice. The number one question I got asked by every single recruiter, where are you looking? What city? What state? How flexible are you on location? Number, that's always the first question. The second question is what are you looking for in a hospital, right? Because if you're those recruiters, they have lots of practices and they want to make sure that they only pair you with ones that you're ultimately gonna choose. So you need to have things listed. What are the technical capabilities I want to have in a practice? Like, is, is having an ultrasound machine a deal breaker for me, yes or no? Like, that's gonna write off a lot of practices right off the bat. Is having digital x-rays, dental x-rays, things like that that like you want for your future practice, if they have them or don't have them, that's going to narrow down the list. The next big piece, I think, is the number of doctors and what you're looking for. You do have to be a little bit more confident as a new grad if you're going to go into a practice that has one to two doctors, because that means there will be days of the week where you're there by yourself. So if that's something that worries you or makes you nervous, I would recommend looking for practices that are more in the four to five doctors on staff range. And you can do this really easily by looking at their website. It often lists the services that they provide. It often lists the doctors that are there. Now be careful of the number of doctors that are listed on a website because a lot of veterinarians in the profession work part-time and you don't know what exactly the amount of part-time that is. So I have seen plenty of hospitals that really are more like a one to two doctors a day in the practice that look like an eight doctor practice because lots of people work part-time. So just keep that in mind and make sure you're ready to ask those questions when a recruiter or a practice owner or a practice manager reaches out to you about the practice. You want to have your spiel of the things that matter. The third question that every recruiter asks you is, what do you want to get paid? This super scary question, because most veterinarians don't like talking about what we're worth. But this is something that I would highly encourage you to do a lot of research before you even start this process, because you're, they're going to make you say a number. And that number is going to then frame a lot of the way that you are able to negotiate that future contract if you choose that practice. So this is something that's super important, something VBMA teaches a lot about, but like make sure that you know what's competitive in that area and not just what's listed on the AVMA job, like AVMA sites around what vets make in certain areas, but try to actually do your research. See if you can find out if the local VMA has put out a survey that actually asks vets in that area, how much are you making? You know, what are the, what are the salary pros and cons? And, and then I would always re recommend that when you talk to them and anyone asks you the question, how much do you want to make? You should give yourself a buffer. 
give a, give a range of a like five to ten thousand dollar range difference that you kind of want to be within, um, and set that range higher than what you're anticipating them actually coming back with, because. If you come in and say, like for example, California um, Davis grads are making around a hundred thousand when they graduate for a small animal gen, uh, gen, general practice. If I had recruiters call me and I said, "Oh well, you know, I want to make at least eighty thousand, then my offers are going to come in at eighty to like eighty five thousand, right? Because they know that I'm willing to accept that. So what I told all the recruiters is that I wanted to make somewhere around one ten. That's not what I'm going to be making when I graduate. I'm making more like 105, but like that's a that's a difference, right? Of like you want to say you want to make more so that you have more flexibility when it comes to those arrangements. And the salary is not super important if there's production and all of those pieces, but it's just something you really want to think about before you even speak to the recruiter. Uh, my experience in like the the marketing sales world, a book that's very valuable. I recommend everyone to read, regardless of what industry you're in. Um, is called Never Split the Difference. It's just a phenomenal book on negotiation and negotiation tactics. Much of this you know, around the idea of anchoring, which is what you're talking about, setting an anchor point that's higher. So that way, when you walk down from a higher anchor point, A, you're going to be, still be within the range that you're looking for or above, but then the, you know, the person on the other side of that is going to feel like they're getting something because they're like, oh, look, I've walked them down. I'm still winning. So it gives them the sense of winning. It gives them the illusion of control. There's some other tactics in there that we don't necessarily talk about right now, but really good book, easy to read because it's actually written from a hostage negotiator. So it's action packed. But I think other parts of it will also come into play as a veterinarian when, when we talk about how sales is also important and being able to you know look into people and mirror them and be able to ensure that they trust you and that they feel confident in you is, is really critical. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, just to note that that book is relevant and I think it would be really helpful when people try to have those conversations around how do I negotiate my salary and how do I handle like this anchor point range and that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I think th those are all really good points. And, you know, negotiation is something that is just now starting to become something that has made its way into a few veterinary schools curriculum. But it is something that like, is extremely important. But you know, it's, it's a it's a complicated topic. And it's something that I think needs to be thought about before you enter those situations. And that was one of the things that surprised me is that when you're talking to recruiters for the corporate consolidators in the veterinary space, they are going to ask you all those questions right off the bat. Now, if you're applying to a private practice, you're probably not going to get all those questions right away. They're not going to talk anything about numbers or anything like that until you get there. They're going to ask you, do you see yourself living here? Why did you pick our practice to reach out to? Questions that are more typical of a first interview over the phone and stuff like that. But what really shocked me was that the recruiters get right down to the point around, you know, what are the parameters that they're going to need in order to create you a contract that makes sense? Then they'll tell you about practices that they think would fit you. So it's kind of a flip on the process that a lot of vet students are used to. So now, you know, you've reached out, you put your resume on one of these websites, you potentially reached out to a couple practices in the area, kind of what does that next process look like? So I recommend that everybody interview at least at three or four hospitals when you're trying to apply if you can. I found with the job market that kind of we were in for my class year is that I had too many people wanting to give me job interviews and not enough time because fourth year is crazy. It's really hard to get days off of clinics. 
So that's something that I think is really important to dis discuss, right? Is when you're looking for a job, like you need to be honest with these people about what your limitations are around meeting with them. So if you're going to school in California and you want to live in New York, you're not going to be able to go to those practices. And that's going to be something you need to plan out more, right? Whether that means in your second or third year, you start thinking about where you want to move and you set up externships that you're going to be traveling to those places anyway, built into your fourth year schedule, or taking your vacation time and maybe you do choose to not use that vacation time to go on a vacation, but instead you go on a vacation to the area that you plan to move so that you have time built into your schedule to meet those people mm. and make sure you plan those vacations as much as possible with your school so that they sit in this window of time between you know December through probably I would say end of February where most people are finding jobs. And I want to make sure we reiterate this is different than looking for internships and residencies. These kinds of things are important to remember because I have plenty of friends that want to move and they didn't really think ahead about where it was that they thought they'd be. And they did struggle during fourth year to find time. Like, how do I fly to Colorado to interview? Because I don't have free time in my schedule. So that's one thing. Also, definitely look into your school's requirements around if you can take days off, if you do have extra days for interviewing. Every school is very different on this front. The next piece I want to talk about is, you know, we talked about what the kind of questions they're going to ask you. There's kind of two paths for these recruiters. That first call is going to be with the recruiter. It's going to ask you those questions we just discussed. If they think that you're a good fit for their company or they feel like there are a few practices that they want to put you in contact with, then the recruiter will actually then set up those connections. So they'll reach out normally to the hospitals directly and say, hey, like I have this um, veterinary student who's graduating that I think would be a good fit. And then the practice will often then have their practice manager or whoever is in charge of this piece of it reach out to you and set up an interview. So that's kind of that process. It's different for the private practices. The private practices, because you're already in communication with the practice owner, what I've seen is oftentimes then they want to schedule a phone interview with you. And that phone interview is normally to just kind of gauge what your interest level is in the practice. So this is one of those things that I say, before that phone interview, you need to have read their website, know what it is that um, they do, potentially even driven by the practice in the area if possible, and have some ideas around things that make it sound like you've done your research into what they do and what they stand for in their community. Because especially if you're talking to a practice manager or a practice owner, they're very invested in what they've built. And so you need to play to that strength around being excited about what they've already created, especially in that phone interview. So then, you know, it's kind of, again, those two paths. The, on the recruiter side and those practice um, kind of set up interviews, they're going to then depending on the, the size of the practice, either have you talk with one of their directors, like their veterinary directors in the region, and that's gonna be more of like a behavioral-based kind of interview, either over the phone or in person, or they'll have you come in. Now, if you're talking about like big, really, really big corporate consolidators, um, some of the corporate branded practices, those, those interviews are not necessarily going to be straight working interviews. They're primarily going to be more of a, formal interview. They're going to ask you behavioral questions. They're going to have questions that the corporate entity that owns them has kind of come up with as ways to gauge good applicants versus not. So those are those typical interview questions. And you can watch anywhere online to get tips on like those general interview kind of questions. What I want to focus on is 
the practices that are going to ask you not general interview questions, but specific to vet med, what is that going to look like? So some of the things that I've had practice owners ask me in some of those interview settings are, you know, what is it that you want to bring to the practice? What do you think that you can add and contribute? Because right when they're adding another veterinarian, they are growing their practice by a considerable amount. And by adding you onto their staff, they're going to need to increase staffing. They're going to potentially need to increase space. Maybe this practice is remodeling. So they want to know, like, what are your thoughts for what you can bring? Now, be ready to defend questions about whether or not that's going to be like feasible or a good business decision, right? So this is where vets do need to know a little bit about it. So some of the examples I brought up in my interview was, you know, I really like ultrasound. I don't want to be a radiologist. I don't necessarily want to be boarded in it, but I want to be able to use an ultrasound to, as part of my diagnostic process through cases. And so I was really upfront about that and told practice owners, you know, right away that that was something I was interested in and that I'm interested in going to additional CE to learn how to do some of these brief ultrasound exams and then be able to talk about that they can charge for those, that those are things that you can charge as production, you can charge for the practice. Um, and it, for some practices that maybe don't have a radiologist in their building, that's a benefit. But that's why that research is super important because if you're talking about recreating services, they already have someone else they're paying to do those things, mm. may not be the best thing to bring up. So, you know, it's all about doing your practice, doing your research, and then bringing up the interest that you have and making sure that you're talking about how you see that fitting into their existing model. Also, then remind, remembering that these interviews are your time to ask lots of questions about them. I'm a huge proponent on the fact that if you're, say, having an hour and a half long interview with a practice, like you should be asking them questions for at least a third of that. You, you need to know just as much as they need to know about you, about what they offer. And I think that that's super important, right? Like it's a little different than some of the other jobs where they have so many applicants for one position. You do kind of end up getting put more in that sell yourself aspect. Even when veterinary medicine is struggling, there's a few people that are applying for any given job, but it's more like anywhere between one in 10 people, not one in thousands. So it's a very different process about trying to make sure that you are going to be a good fit. And you need, and if they don't see you asking those questions about what is the work schedule like, what is the staffing like, what is the culture you're trying to create here, what kind of cases do you see, what specialties do you have, or interests do you have, like if you're not asking all those questions, then to the practice owner or the practice manager, depending on the situation, you're not interested enough for them to waste their time on, right? Because at the end of the day, you're going to make your decision based on all that information, and if you never ask those questions, then they know that you don't have the correct information. It makes it a little bit of a different experience. Now on the private practice side, I'm seeing less and less practices actually interview and they'll do a little phone interview to get to know you, to tell you about the practice. And then they actually want you to come and spend a good chunk of the day working in their practice. This is actually something that I highly encourage you to ask if it's possible, even for the corporate consolidators too, is can I come and spend an afternoon or a day, like a whole Saturday on the weekend or whatever you can do around your schedule, getting to know the practice, because we all know veterinary medicine is a very like people heavy business. It's a small space with lots of people crammed into it. And you need to make sure everybody gets along. 
you need to make sure that the resources that they have are there in the way that you feel you can use them. What is the office flow? How do people, like how do clients perceive that practice? Are they really excited? How is technology used in the practice? If that's something that's interesting to you, like are they doing anything like that? And if they're doing none of that, are they open to that? Because that's the other thing I see a lot of new grads is they come out with things that they want to do. They know it's one something they want as part of their practice. Maybe they really want to have better communication with their clients. If that practice is still using paper records and phone calls to remind people about their appointments and they don't have any kind of automated system in place, that's going to be a lot more work on your part if you want to stay in communication than if you're already working at a practice that has all those things built in. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It just means that then you need to ask, are they interested in adding those things? So it's all about situational kind of what it is that you're looking for and keeping in mind the whole time that this needs to be a good fit for you because you working somewhere will bring revenue. And so they, they need to want you as much as you want them. And on that point, Ricky, I'm wondering how important is it to show interest in the business side of things to ask questions around, you know, profitability or, uh, you know, how much, you know, what are the margins on the services we're charging? How many people have you let go or, or have left this office and like, why did, why did they let, or were they let go or yeah. were they laid off or and, and whatever? Are those good questions that, you know, every veterinarian should make sure to keep in their pocket when they approach this? Because the business and the revenue side of things are like really like such a critical component of, of running this. So that's something that the VBMA has been really interested in. But one of the things that I've kind of learned from learning from them is that I think it is really important to know those questions, even if you have no interest in being a practice owner. Like, so that's actually something to bring up, right? It's not always the best tactic in your first interview as a new veterinarian to say that you're interested in practice ownership, unless you know for a fact that that practice is looking for somebody to add as a partner. Otherwise, there's like when you say you're going to be a want to be a practice owner, then you are effectively limiting the number of years you're going to work for them if they're not interested in you owning with them. Mm. Right. So that's something to keep in mind. And especially if you're interviewing at a corporate consolidator that is already owned by a corporation, you saying you want to be a practice owner is not useful because they don't need you to be a practice owner. They want you to be a vet for them. So what I find is spinning it a little differently. Every single veterinarian and every single business wants every vet that, that works for them to know how business works and why sales is important and why all those things like profitability the number of new clients they're getting, like they want vets that understand that the vet practice is a business. So if that's something that you're not comfortable with, it's definitely something to think about learning about prior to interviewing. Because what I found for me when that did make me stand out in a lot of my interviews is that I did ask them questions like, what is your average client transaction? How many clients do you see a day? All those things. And I'll get like, I can get into why that's important, right? Like that's directly relevant to you because if you're going to be paid on any sort of production scale, you need to know the number of people walking in that building and paying for services. You need to know how much on average a typical client pays because that average client transaction cost will tell you how compliant those clients are with your recommendations. It tells you the level of medicine you're able to provide, like provide at that clinic, like what do they have to refer out? What is that point where then they're saying you need to go to a different practice? It tells you that information. And then you take those two numbers and you can determine the amount of money that 
you are generating for the practice and revenue. And then if you remember that most veterinary clinics pay their vets on about a 20% production basis, um, what that means is then you can take that gross revenue that you're anticipating you will bring to that practice based on the number of clients you're seeing and all that stuff and get a guess around what kind of salary you should be asking for from them because it should be around that 20% mark. So that gives you kind of another number to help justify for negotiation, which we can discuss later. But that's you know something that I think is important, right? You need to ask those questions in your interview or you don't have that information to work with later. But if you're at all interested in leadership opportunities within the practice, you should ask because some practices are not interested in their associates having any kind of app, like part in helping the business run. They just want them to do their thing and they wanna run the practice. And if you are interested in leadership, then that's maybe not the right fit for you. So I think it's important for you to talk about the things you wanna do. So I am interested in practice ownership. Um, I did tell some of my um, employers that I was interested in that, but I said it in a very different way around the fact that in the long term, that's something I'm looking into. I don't give specific years. I don't tell them when I'm starting to look for those things. You want to make sure that you're being honest with them around the fact that that's something you might want to do in the future, but make it sound like something in the future because the reality is all of us as veterinary students have no idea what we're going to actually want to do three years out after we're starting to be clinicians. So, you know, I think it's framing it in a way that's not like, oh yeah, I plan to be a practice owner in two years, then you've now given them a definite timeline of when you're leaving. But it's, I'm interested in these things. For the corporate practices, I talked about those same things. Like maybe I, I think I want to own a practice, but maybe not. Maybe that's something that won't happen. So then it's, well, I am interested in leadership. I do like leading teams of people. I do want leadership training. So first, you know, some of these big corporate practices, like they have leadership training programs for their associate vets. And like, maybe that's something you want them to tell you about so that you know a lot about it. And if you're like those corporate practices struggle to find veterinarians who are interested in leadership. So that's one of those things that I kind of wanted to also make sure we mentioned in this video is when it comes to interviewing and looking for jobs, if you have any interest in leading others, you are going to excel in this profession because so many of us don't want to be leaders. We want to practice medicine, put our heads down, be with our clients, see the pets, treat them, and that's where we want our kind of involvement to stop. But if you have those leadership potentials or you think you will in the future, you should definitely highlight that in your interview because it makes you stand out and it makes them more willing to invest in you because they can see you as somebody who moves up in their management chain. In the private practice sector, that's the same thing. They still are excited to see that associate wants some involvement because if a two doctor practice is going to grow to an eight doctor practice they need to have all their vets on board with what's happening so it's all about kind of showing your value to your employer in some of these non-practical ways one of the things that i also wanted to make sure we mention is that they've done plenty of studies i don't have the exact study right now and all that stuff but i've learned through a lot of different presenters that there are plenty of studies that show that you're looking at the top 10 things that someone wants out of an applicant. Their medical knowledge for veterinarians is something that people are looking at as maybe five or six or seven on that list of 10. The things that always are at the top are communication style, personality, looking for somebody who's like has roots in the area. Like do they have family around or did they buy a house or are they planning on living there because they don't want the turnover. They're also asking on like, you know, like approachability, like it's 
its faint and unique experiences or interests. Like it's all those things that we've spent this time talking about that they actually care about, which is very different than what we get told in school is going to be what's useful, right? Like medical knowledge is what we need to do our job, but they're assuming that because you graduated that you fulfill that requirement. Right. So if that's where they're looking, you need to figure out how to impress them with those other pieces. One other thing, actually, before we move on, uh, I think a, a good question that would be great in a first interview that will help kind of you brainstorm across you know, the whatever days happen between the next interview would be around the, along the lines of asking, what areas do they see that their business needs to improve in today? Is it retaining clients? Is it acquiring new clients? even just having a sense of that saying like everyone who comes here loves us and comes back a lot, but not enough people know about us. That tells you one situation about the kind of business that you're going to start working in or saying that, you know what, we get tons of new traffic, new clients in here all the time, but they don't keep coming back. They, they end up going to a different vet or, or they don't accept our treatment rates as often as we would really like that is going to get, tell you much more about the business and also allow you to brainstorm ideas about when you have that next interview about either a solutions that they're you know how you are going to complement solutions that they see that need to happen and or creative new solutions that you can bring to the table and say okay well this is how i can fit into your practice and solve some of these like key pain points as a business yeah no those are those are really good points it's all about an interview should go both ways it should be you collecting information so therefore then you know how to best fill the need that they're looking for. So that's that's definitely a great tip as far as interviews go. A couple other things that like I think everybody should know that are things that I didn't know when I went through all this interview process. I mentioned that some places want you to come and do a working interview. Like what does that look like? Everyone says come and come and do a working interview with us and you're like does that mean I'm seeing patients? Does that mean I'm shadowing? And the answer to that question is that it totally depends on the practice, so you should be prepared for anything. I've seen a lot of my friends that have gone to a working interview and been like, oh, there's, there's no way that they're going to ask me to scrub in on this surgery or something like that. And then they do, and then they're nervous, and they, or they didn't bring scrubs, or they, did, they weren't prepared for whatever that looks like. So my suggestion to everybody who goes to, on any working interview is you need to make sure that you're prepared for anything. They may ask you to go in and take a history with the client and do a physical exam and tell them what you found. They may just want you to shadow them. And it's not based on the level of what they do. That's not how interested they are in you. It's, it's whatever, they're, whatever they feel comfortable with as far as you getting a good idea of what their practice is like. It really depends. I have had friends that have been asked to like perform a surgery with the, the, uh, pra the practice owner scrub in with them you know so be ready for things like that now obviously they're not going to throw you into a surgery that you've never done before or something like that but you should be prepared to you know be able to be more hands-on if that's something that they want you to do because it catches a lot of people off guard and you should also ask those questions if someone's inviting you for a working interview ask them what some of those details look like not all practice owners or practice managers hire all that often because our profession is not like some, not all these prep places are 30 doctor practices. They may, they may not have hired anybody in five years. And so if that's the case, like you should ask them, what are you planning on having me do so that I can be most prepared? Is, 
there anything I should bring? You know, asking some of those questions so that you show up prepared can then have a better impact on how that goes. So, you know, that's kind of, those are some of those tips around interviewing, coming up with what you're going to talk about. And then keep in mind that all this interviewing stuff is separate from people actually offering you jobs and actually going through those negotiations, which we can discuss at a different time. But, you know, you're going to interview and then you should hear back, you know, from on what their thoughts are. One of the other questions I think is important to keep in mind is think about when, depending on when you start applying, like when do you approximately want to know where you're going? Be really upfront about that. Because what I found is that I told a lot of recruiters in December that, um, I really wanted to know where I was working by January. By the end of January, I wanted to know where I was working because I, and give reasons why. For me, it was because I want to be able to start looking for a house. We need to move. I want to make sure that I'm set up for all of those other pieces. Because if you're not upfront about your timeline, then the practice has no idea how early to give you that offer. Um, and you want them to, and maybe you don't want those offers. If you are truly not planning on making a decision until March or April because you want the flexibility, then say, you know, I'm, I'm starting my application process now, but I do plan to apply for a couple months and kind of explore all my options. I'm really interested in trying to make a decision by end of March. Because then that practice knows, okay, maybe I'm not going to offer you something right now because maybe I'll know more about my business in a month and a half, but I'm still going to reach out to you before your deadline. The mistake that a lot of students make is that they come in and they say, you know, oh, I'm really interested. I'm looking for jobs in November, December. And then they don't say when they're planning on making that decision. So then they get companies offering them contracts. And with some of the corporations, the contracts are only good for like a week before you have to sign it. So if you're not upfront with them and they send you a contract and say, you know, are you interested? Well, now you may have four other interviews scheduled over the next month and a half. And now you have to awkwardly tell them, you know, I have four other interviews. I'd like to wait until those before accepting your offer. It's better to be upfront with people and tell them, you know, I am interviewing at other practices. I am looking and exploring my options. There's a lot of thought on whether or not you should tell people that you're interviewing other places i definitely think you should if you are if you're only interviewing one place don't lie but you should definitely tell them that you're interviewing other places and that you and i think it's also good to be honest with practice owners around if you have other offers because that may make them decide to be more competitive no one no one likes to not know all those pieces when they go into a contract negotiation so in that interview process you want to set that up so that everybody has the information they need if the first time that a practice owner finds out that you have five other offers is when you sit down to negotiate their contract now you make them feel like they're ill prepared because if what they offer you is not compar comparable then they have no way to change that in that moment sometimes they may need to talk to a lawyer. They may need, may need to rework their budgeting, right? So I don't think you need to give them specifics, but I think you should tell them, you know, I do have other offers because maybe that sparks the practice owner to say, maybe I should do some research into what other people are offering that's right now. Because that's another big thing that we can talk about in that negotiation kind of conversation is you may have to be the one that educates educates your future employer on what that looks like because like we were saying it may be five years since they've hired a vet and the job job market in vet med has changed drastically in five years it may be completely different a year from now we don't know 
but you as the vet student are actually going to be the one that's expected to know those things. So definitely keeping up on all of that is important. And as you mentioned, I think in the last time we spoke, you know, being that it's a small community, you really don't want to burn any bridges because just because you're interviewing with a place now and it might not be the right fit now, five or 10 years down the road, you know, maybe things change and you do actually want to revisit a conversation with them. And if you had a really pleasant experience, they're going to remember you favorably and be like, oh, you know what? We love that guy or girl. Let's totally talk to her again. I'm really glad that things can line up, you know, a little bit better now. That's a really good point too, especially with the job market right now with everything with COVID. Like, there are people's job offers that are unstable at the moment. And I think that it's a really bad feeling if you didn't ever respond to the practices that you didn't weren't interested in. Like you need to close all of those conversations on a positive note around, you know, even if you choose to go somewhere else, it's all about maybe I want to like, you know, in the future, I'd love to keep you guys in mind. Like I really liked X, Y, and Z, make it a positive experience because you never know. We were at one of the strongest jobs markets for vets ever and now we don't know what's going to happen with that so it could be as soon as a few months even prior to your start date that things change or it could be years from now that you're looking for a new change so yeah burning bridges is I think something to definitely keep in mind no matter how even if you dislike the way a recruiter talks to you or the way a practice owner calls you or something that's said on those that phone call you should always, always, always try to be respectful and keep a positive relationship because we always say in vet med that, that there's only one to two degrees of separation between anybody in this profession. And word travels very, very fast through the profession if you start upsetting people. So definitely you want to always be honest, always be yourself, and just kind of come prepared with all this knowledge that we talked about so that you're not caught off guard by questions that they could ask you because everybody knows how to answer interview questions, but what can really throw you for a loop is when they're asking you some of these technical things or ways to improve their business, and if that's not the mindset that you've ever thought about, you can really get yourself into trouble where you don't look like you know what you're doing because you weren't given time to prepare for that. So now, Ricky, with a little bit of time that we have left, I'd love to just run through some of these, uh, a few questions just to reiterate some points. So let's start with, what are some key differences when applying to a local practice versus a hospital? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so some key differences between like a local smaller practice and a larger potentially hospital that's owned by a corporation. I think some of the big differences is anything that's owned by a corporation that's large enough in size to own a large amount of hospitals is going to you're going to work with a recruiter. So mm -hmm. that's a different atmosphere. The recruiter is going to reach out to you that they're going to kind of coordinate all those things. When you're applying to a local practice, you're working with the practice owner directly. They're the one that's ultimately going to make that decision. So relationships are so much more important. Potentially, you want to walk into that practice and say hi and meet that person when you drop off a resume. I don't know. It's, it's about that's a more personal connection versus a corporation is more of a, you know, that standard. They're going to look at your resume. You're going to go through a variety of steps and then get to a practice towards the end of it. So it's a very... The, the process is reversed in some ways. What are some key ways to leverage your network to secure opportunities? Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. So some, some key ways to do that is reach out to veterinarians you may have met that are in that area. See if they know anybody who's hiring. Another huge one is get to know the reps that come to your campus that sell different, that are like working for different companies, like drug companies, food companies, things like that. 
those reps are the ones that ultimately go into all those practices and talk to all of the staff. So like I used multiple reps that I knew to ask, hey, do you know who, who's hiring in this area? They have a huge broad network of people they interact with, so I highly recommend using them. And then the other thing is maybe not your network directly, but using resources that exist like job boards and local VMA sites and give you a lot of really good information on leads and maybe an area that you don't have a network in. It's a good place to start. Are there any technologies or platforms that are common or at least that that students can easily make a move to go through some of like, you know, like a software training or something like that to kind of just make sure that they set themselves off to either a competitive edge or that they're presenting themselves as ready to, you know, rock immediately yeah. without kind of like a training period? As far as networking, I think it's not commonly used, but if you use LinkedIn, I think that that's a super important way to meet people, um, at least being able to be searchable on LinkedIn, have a profile that's complete. You don't necessarily have to use it. You just have to be able to be searchable and have people find information on you. So that's one. As far as actual technology to be good at, um, I think one of those things is understanding different practice management softwares are key. And it's something I think almost no veterinary students have training in. So I highly recommend externing at lots of places and using your time in vet school to work at different clinics because then you can learn firsthand how to use those software programs. Vets don't have a lot of like standardized technology stuff. Like we don't really end up using Word. We don't really end up using most of like the like Office 365 or like, I mean, email. You need to know how to use an email to be a vet. But like other than that, it's not a lot of super technically like complex things but the practice management softwares can throw a huge wrench in your day at an externship if you don't know how to use it so like use those externships to learn and remember how to use different practice management softwares it'll make your life way easier when you're on a working interview and they want you to pull up a client's file and you don't know how to do that so I'm not sure if there are tutorials for those online. There's a lot of different ones and a lot of practices kind of like change them to fit their practice. But the more exposure you have with the general concepts of how they work, the better. I'm curious to know then if there's just anything, you know, any remaining thoughts that you have on this, whether it's like key items that we didn't cover. Um, I think from from my end, something that, that would, I would love people to to take away is also the idea that during an interview process, show rather than tell as much as possible. One thing I've seen in like the history of me interviewing people, like don't say that you're a fast learner. Everyone says that they're a fast learner. Like give an example of what that actually means. You know, from like from the just the discussing technologies, right? Instead of saying, you know, oh, I'm a fast learner, you could say, I under, you know, I I know how to use like these technologies. That is a way that's going to immediately show them like, oh, these are new technologies. You know, they're a vet student, so they're you know, the fact that they know these different things kind of presents the point that they're a fast learner. And aside from just fast learner, any any facet that you want to describe yourself as, show, don't tell whenever possible. Present real examples of like either experiences or achievements, and. I think in that same regard, you can ask questions that help showcase your, your expertise. So asking a little bit more technical or a little bit more specialty questions is going to give light to, oh, this person really knows what they're talking about. Otherwise, because the, the questions that you ask them can be more deep, right? If you didn't know what you're talking about, they're going to be naturally shallower questions. Something to consider. I've seen it done successfully in the past, not always, but to your point, I, 
uh, Ricky, sending a follow-up note after the fact. Sending a handwritten note especially can actually stand out in today's day and age. It's not as immediate as an email, um, but honestly, it, it still works, uh, or at least I've seen it in like the, the marketing tech world. If someone sends you like a handwritten note saying thank you for an interview with some details, it does make you stop and think about the person like, oh, wow, um, they really, you know, they, they really want this job or they're really interested in this team because they took that extra step. Yeah, no, th those are really good points. I think I think that point around, you know, showing not telling is super important. And I think it's common in VetMed for us to say like, you know, oh yeah, I'm a good leader and I'm a good team player and blah, 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 these like words that people want us to say, but it is much more useful to show a situation that you've done that in, um, which is why kind of going back to one of my earlier points, like I think having leadership experience that sets you apart it not only gives you the stuff on your resume that you need but it also gives you the experiences to then talk about in an interview one of the things that i do all the time is talk about what it was like to work on the national board for the vbma or what it was like to be a rep at a school position and like when they ask you questions about like you know are you good at working with multiple different personalities like giving not just saying yes but giving an example of a time that you did that right and so i think that those are those are really good points it's definitely something to keep in mind you should have those examples that are things that you're thinking about or have thought about prior to getting there that you want to share and figure out how to use the question they ask to bring those up i think is super important i guess kind of just final thoughts on this right is i think what always shocks people i talk to this about um in vet med is that your interview is not going to be about veterinary medicine. They are not going to ask you if you know how to treat a diabetic cat. They're not going to ask you if you know the steps to heartworm treatment or which heartworm product you like. Like They're not going to ask things that we learn in school. They're going to ask you for things that you are expected to have learned on your own, right? These leadership skills, these, you know, understanding of what a veterinary clinic looks like so if that's something that you struggle with or something you don't have a lot of experience with then i would highly recommend that you take the time to do that early so you're not trying to gain those experiences while also trying to apply for jobs and also trying to graduate our job hunt happens at the most stressful period of time in our fourth year anyway so you know anything you can do to prepare yourself ahead of time to be more successful is important um, and reach out to people and ask questions, you know, reach out to your mentors, ask for their feedback and, you know, be critical of the practice that you're looking at working for, because it will be somewhere that you, you spend a huge majority of your time. And veterinary medicine is a very individualized art of, you know, providing the medicine we want to provide. And so you need to make sure that that environment is going to be supportive of that, or it's going to cause you to burn out and have compassion fatigue and all those things way earlier so it's definitely important to ask all those questions and be very honest with uh, the people that you're potentially going to be working for excellent well this was amazing as always ricky and yeah thanks thanks for all the insights and looking forward to the next time we sync up here